take your Bibles. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke. Again, we are in chapter 5. We started a series last week on the miracles of Jesus. How many believe that our God is still a miracle-working God? Yes? And uh, in Luke chapter 5, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And so it begins in verse 17, where it says, Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, as Jesus was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the house top and led him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. I want to talk today from the subject, faith that makes a way. Amen. Faith that makes a way. So here's Jesus. He's in this in this house and uh, doing his teachings, and it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there. Now, these are the, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders at the time, and it says that these leaders came from every town out of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. That's a lot of religious leaders gathered there in that house. How many understand that? They came from all over the countryside, right? And probably made up the majority of the crowd that are there that day at the house. And look at this statement in verse 17 where it says, The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Interesting statement. I ask myself, why, why is that a notable remark? Isn't this Jesus who we know is God? Isn't the power of the Lord always present when Jesus is in the room? So why does this need to be called out? Let me explain. Yes, Jesus is God, but Jesus is also fully man. How many understand that? It's called the incarnation, right? And Jesus refrained from using his power, his authority, as the Son of God, so that as a man, he would be fully dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's when Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, he said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me, and he became our role model, our example, so that we as men, as women, as human beings, would also learn how to be dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when it says the power of the Lord was present to heal, it means that there were people in that room who needed healing. And it says that God was ready, that God was positioned, the Holy Spirit was ready to heal those who needed healing. But even though, now look at this, even though the power of the Lord was present to heal them, in that moment, there's no report of anyone being healed. All it mentions is that the religious leaders were gathered in the room. This reminds me of a statement in Mark chapter 6 where it says that Jesus could do no mighty work there in that particular place except that he healed a few sick people. And then it says he marveled because 
of their unbelief. So I believe that the religious leaders that were gathered there that, in that room that day, they weren't there to be healed. They were there to scrutinize Jesus and to criticize him. They didn't come in good faith to hear and to learn and to receive whatever it was Jesus wanted to do. They came in bad faith. They came to find something wrong with Jesus and to attack him. That was their whole reason for being there. Now, many of us, we might look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and we might think, how could they miss this? How could they miss what God wanted to do, gathered there together in the presence of Jesus? But the reality is that people today, Christian people today, Jesus-loving people today, we still do this same thing today. Let me ask you. How did you come to church this morning? What was in your heart? What was in your mind coming to church? Did you come in good faith? Meaning, did you come with expectation? Did you come with anticipation? Did you come believing that you were going to be gathered with the people of God, in the presence of God, and that the power of the Lord would be present to do something in your life? Did you come with good faith, or did you come maybe just to go through your Sunday morning religious exercise, put your time in, and go home and watch the football game later on? Because a lot of people today, they come just like the Pharisees to just go through their religious exercise. And I want to challenge us today and say we need to come to the house of God in good faith. Everybody say good faith. In faith of expectation and anticipation and ready to receive whatever it is that Jesus wants to put in our lives. Amen? And there are times when God heals. He does certain works in response Two are asking. The Bible says that you have not because you ask not. But then there are those times when God just shows up. Hallelujah. When God just moves sovereignly, unprovoked, uninvited by our asking, he just shows up. Now, Yes, God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at all times, but there is a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. This is what we believe as Pentecostal people, people of the presence, people of the spirit and the power of God. We believe that there are times when God just sovereignly moves. He just shows up and manifests his grace, his strength, and his power. Am I talking to the right people today? Amen? I hope we're not just a bunch of Pharisees just going through our religious exercises, but we came here today in good faith with expectation saying, you know what? I'm waiting for God to show up in a sovereign way today, and God is going to do something in my life today. Amen? And that's why sometimes when you come to the church, you'll hear a pastor come up here and say, God is moving right now. We sense the presence of the Lord in this place right now. And that's why sometimes you'll be challenged, you'll be invited to get up out of your seat and come to the altar to receive. Not because we believe there's some kind of magic, supernatural something here at the altar. When we call people to stand up and come to the altar, what we're asking them to do is to respond to God's moving. 
to reposition ourselves from a passive place of just sitting and watching and observing to an active place where we are participating and stepping into what God is doing. Because you know what? It says that the power of the Lord was present to heal, but then there's no report of anyone being healed there. Not until someone climbed up on the roof, tore the roof apart, and let that sick man down. What happened? They didn't just passively sit by out in the yard saying, well, if God wants them to be healed. No, no, no. They stepped in. They became active. They got involved. Amen? They asserted their their faith. They provoked God. They invited God to step into their situation. Amen? Don't be a Pharisee. Come on, tell somebody that, all right? Don't be a Pharisee. Don't listen. Don't come to church to just go through your religious duty without expectation or anticipation. Come like those four men carrying their sick friend, hallelujah, who said in their hearts, if we can just get him to Jesus, if we can just put him in front of Jesus, if we can just have Jesus there in his presence and touch Jesus with our faith, something incredible is going to happen. This is what we do as people of faith. Amen? We believe in a living God who's still moving in the lives of his people today. So it says there in verse 19, they brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And when they, and then it says, and when they could, could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd. So here they are. They come to the house, and as they they heard Jesus was there, they get there, and they see that the house is completely engulfed in a crowd of people. The door is blocked. The windows are blocked. And note this, that most of those people, I believe, was was religious leaders, were the Pharisees and 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 the teachers of the law who heard where Jesus, and they all came from every city, it says, out of Galilee, Judea, I believe most of those people were the religious leaders. Now, don't miss the irony of this picture. The reason, look at this now, the reason why those four men with their sick friend couldn't get to Jesus is because of all the religious people that were in the way. Out of every town of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, They filled the house. The Pharisees filled the house. They surrounded the house. They were out in the yard. They were peering through the windows. And it's it's ironic, it's tragic that religious people prevented those men from getting their sick friend to Jesus. Are Are you getting that? Many today are letting religion keep them from Jesus. They are paralyzed. They are prevented from seeing Jesus because of the religious systems that tell them, well, you can't just go to Jesus. you got to go through the rituals. you got to observe the sacraments. There are certain traditions that you first must adhere to. God won't see you. God won't hear you. God won't do anything for you until you first prove to him how sincere you are by going through all of these religious exercises. It's like, you know what that's like? That's like going, wanting to go to the gym and them telling you, you can't come in here. You're too out of shape. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about because you've never been to a gym. But 
Try to imagine, okay? You're out of shape. You're struggling. You know, you're weak. You're tired, right? You, you, you need to get it. And so you go to the gym, and there's somebody at the door and says, well, before you come in here, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta do some more cardio first, right? You got to maybe do some resistance training first. You got to, you know, fix up your diet and all that stuff, right? That's what religion is like. It says God is not going to hear you. God is not going to listen to you until you first go through all of these steps and these requirements. And religion blocks people from getting to Jesus. Others are paralyzed by religion because their religion has become to them a form of spiritual pride. Oh yeah, they've learned how to do the rituals. They've learned how to go through the traditions. They've learned how to check all the boxes. And it's become a point of pride to them. And they'll tell you, they say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough without your Jesus. I, I, I go to church. I'm religious. I keep all the rules. I go through all of the exercises. And here's what we need to realize. Here's what I want us to grasp. It was religion. Listen to this. It was religion that killed Jesus. It was religion that betrayed him, religious leaders that set him up, religious leaders that bound him with ropes, religious leaders that drug him to Pilate, religious leaders who stood there in the crowd and said, crucify him, crucify him. It was religious leaders that stood there and mocked him when he was on the cross. So understand, if you're bragging about being religious, and you need to realize that religion is opposed to everything that Jesus is about. What is Jesus about? Jesus is about clearing the way so that you and I can have direct access to the throne of God without needing to go to a man or a church or a system or anyone else. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain grace and mercy to help in your time of need. Amen? And I love these men. I love these men. Nothing, no one was going to stop them from getting to Jesus getting their friend to Jesus. Verse 19 says, when they realized they couldn't get in through the door or a window, they said, well, we're not going to be deterred. Jesus is in there. We're getting to Jesus. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. They went up on the housetop, it says, and they led him down, the sick man, the paralyzed down, with his bed through the tiling and put him in front of Jesus. Now, just imagine, just imagine this group of friends. Now, this, this story is also in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, it says that there were four men who carried their sick friend. So they get to the house. It's too crowded, right? And they take him up to the roof. Now, understand how the houses were built there. Most houses there would use the rooftop as another room of the house. And so there would be a, a stairway that would go up the side of the building, right? It'd be easily, easily accessed. And they, so they took their friend up the stairs, took him up to the roof, right? And they realized Jesus is right below us. Hallelujah. There's just, a, there's just a little bit of roof between us and Jesus, and nothing's going to stop us, not even this roof, right? So they start pulling away tiles and digging through, you know, the, the mud and the straw that's making up that rooftop. Now, imagine you're one of the people on the inside of the house. Imagine that. 
Here you are, you're with Jesus, right? You're listening to Jesus teach, and you're hearing this scratching and this scraping up in the ceiling, right? And then dust starts falling down, right? And then a small hole appears, and some light shines through, and you start seeing fingers and hands coming through these holes in the roof, right? And before you realize that pieces are being pulled away, and clouds of dirt and dust start to, start to fill the room, and the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and finally you can make out that there are four guys up there and they've got a fifth guy who's in a stretcher and suddenly the stretcher starts to get lowered into the room off these ropes, right? And it descends and it lands right on the floor right in front of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank God for those friends. Amen. Thank God for those friends who would not be deterred, who would not be discouraged, who would not be put off, who had a deterrent. Now listen, they had a determination to get their friend to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for friends that I had who were determined to get me to Jesus. I wasn't born saved. I wasn't born in the church. I wasn't born into a, a family that served God, right? I was born into a secular family, and I didn't know Jesus. And I spent my younger years not knowing Jesus, but I had friends. I had friends who were determined, who kept coming after me, who kept bothering me and pestering me and reminding me that I was lost, that I was a sinner on my way to hell, and that I needed a Savior. There was a God who loved me and sent his son Jesus who died on the cross. Thank God for friends who are persistent and who will get you to Jesus. And listen, you might be here today and you might, you might, maybe you don't know who Jesus is, maybe you're not following him, but you know you've got some friends who are really annoying you. In fact, the only reason you're here today is because you're hoping that this will finally get them off your back. I'm just going to go today and maybe they'll leave me alone if I just go. Listen, thank God you have friends like that. Thank God you have friends. They love you and they love your soul. And they want you to hear the truth and they want you to know that there is a God who passionately loves you. And that God, who has done everything that he can do to cleanse your soul of its guilt and wipe the sins away from your life and deliver you from an eternal hell, and they are fighting for your soul. Hallelujah. Thank God for those friends. God, give us, amen, church, that kind of passion for the broken and the wounded and the spiritually paralyzed that are around us. Because listen, we are surrounded by paralyzed people, maybe not physically, but spiritually. Spiritually, unable to get to Jesus, unable to find their way to the truth, groping about in the darkness. Maybe they're blocked, they're caught up in religion. The Pharisees are in control of their lives. There's too much resistance, and they need someone. They need someone who has faith, hallelujah, that won't give up, that continues to go after them, not only in prayer, but in sharing the gospel with them. Amen? Amen? We need to be that kind of a friend, yes? Now, we don't know anything really about this man on the bed, except that he was paralyzed. The Greek word is paraluo. It means simply paralyzed, that he could not make use of his appendages. We don't know how, he became paralyzed. Was he born with a disability? Was he severely injured in an accident? Did a disease attack his nervous system later in life? Some commentators believe that he was the victim of a very, very common 
disease, a communicable disease, very common back then, called syphilis. Now, syphilis is a sexually transmitted disease that many people had back in those times, and there was no cure for. Antibiotics were not, were not uh, a thing yet. And um, it ravaged the body, led to paralysis and eventually death. And worse than that, because syphilis is a sexually transmitted disease, it brought public shame to the victim. Public shame. In fact, people who were um, suffering from that disease would become outcasts in society. They would become rejects. People didn't want to be around them. They saw them as people that were, uh, you know, immoral and ungodly. And, and in a highly religious culture like Judaism, no one wanted to be associated with people like that. Now, the reason why commentators... Now, understand, I'm not saying I know this for certain, okay? This is my, my own speculation, okay? Our purest preachers would say that this is eisegesis right now, right, Pastor Dylan? Right? But it's a fair, it's a fair speculation to make, and they, they make this speculation about him because of what Jesus said to him. In verse 20, he saw their faith, and he said to him, he said to the man, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, wait a minute. Sins? Who's talking about sins? We're not asking about sins. We didn't bring him here, right? If I was one of the four, I'd say, we didn't bring him here because of his sins. We brought him here because he's paralyzed, and he needs healing. All the people could see was that this was a man who couldn't walk and he was paralyzed, right? But Jesus saw a deeper condition that this man was struggling with. He could see that this man was paralyzed spiritually because of his guilt and his shame from sin. Now, did he have syphilis? We don't know. Was he an outcast of society? We don't know. Was he a prisoner to shame and guilt and embarrassment? We don't know. But Jesus knew something about this man that we don't know, that his first primary greatest need was a need for forgiveness. He didn't start out with healing. He started out with healing for the man's soul, for his mind, for his emotions. And this is the healing that all of us need. You may not be physically paralyzed, but many, many people today are spiritually paralyzed. And they, they need healing in their souls, healing in their within from the curse of sin and the scars and the shame and the guilt of the sin that they carry. There's a brokenness in our souls. Amen? A brokenness that we are all born with. A brokenness that each of us is dealing with in our lives. Romans, the book of Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Many, many people today carry this pervasive sense of shame about themselves. They, they, things that they feel guilty about, regretful, remorseful. You might even be here today, and you might be feeling in your heart, in your soul, this weight of guilt and shame because of something that you did this past week. The way that you spoke to someone, the way that you acted towards a family member or a friend or, or a co-worker, or maybe something that you did that nobody knows about except for you and for him. I want you to know that Jesus offers 
healing. I'm not talking about physical healing right now. I'm talking about the most important. Because listen, you can get physically healed today, but eventually you're going to get sick again. Amen? And eventually we're all going to grow old and eventually we're all going to die. And the greatest healing that we need is not a physical healing. It's a healing of our souls. Hello? Jesus offers that healing for our souls. That deeper pain that we have. That agony that so many feel every day. For many, when they just look in the mirror, you know, it's, 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 it's sad. There are so many people, they look good on the outside. They put up a good appearance. They, you know, on the outside, they're all smiles, and they're all, oh, how you doing? Oh, thank God. But on the inside, many people are hurting more than many of us realize. And every time they look in the mirror, there's an agony that they have about themselves. They feel inferior. They come into a place like this. They can hardly stand it because they look at all the people around them. They feel inadequate. They feel deficient somehow. That there's something about them that's broken when they compare themselves to everyone else. They feel invisible in the room. They feel unlovable in the room. And you know what the world has? You know what the world does? The world will tell you, oh, you know what you need? You need more money. You need better clothes. You need to change your hair color. You need more makeup. You need a better education. You need a job. Maybe some tattoos, maybe some body piercings. Maybe if you hang out with the right crowd, you'll start to feel better and more, and more esteemed and more significant. They'll even tell, the world will even tell you, you know what, you should change your gender. That'll do it because you're so unhappy. It's a, it's a gender issue. You need to change your gender or your sexual preference, preference. Maybe you would feel more accepted by those of the same sex, right? Or maybe you need another body piercing, or maybe you need another tattoo, right? But listen, when Jesus saw that man, he said, what you really need has nothing to do with your body. It has nothing to do with your physical appearance. It has nothing to do with how you function or how you perform physically. He said, what you need is to connect with your creator. He said, what you need is to know the love and the acceptance of the one who created you and who called you into existence and who loves you as you were created and has a purpose for your life. Without the the things of this world, without all of the body piercings. And, the t- I'm not, and I'm not saying all that stuff is wrong. I'm just saying if you think you're going to get happy because of all these externals and all these things that you add and change about yourself, that's not where inner peace comes from. That's not where joy comes from. That's not where satisfaction. Because you know what? If you're, if you're miserable the day before you get a body piercing, the day after you get a body piercing, you're just going to be a miserable person with a body piercing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, do you think another tattoo is going to make you happy? And people can say, wow, you're really nice. Ta-. No, no, no. If you're miserable the day before you get a tattoo, I promise you the day after you get a tattoo, you're just going to be a miserable person with another tattoo. Hello? It's the same with the gender stuff today. They say, well, you know, the reason why you're miserable is because you, were, you, know, you might have been born a male, but you're really a female in that body. And what you need to do is you need to change your gender and align your, 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 your physical gender with your feelings of gender, right? And I'll have this word for you. If you feel miserable the day before you transition, then after you transition, you're just going to be a transgender person who's still miserable. Jesus said it's not about your body. It's not about this shell. 
It's not about that. It's about connecting with the creator who called you into existence and who has wired you to be in a love relationship with him. And until you have a love relationship with him, you will never, you will never be satisfied and you'll always be paralyzed. Which brings us back to the Pharisees. Verse 21 says, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, in one sense, they are absolutely correct theologically. No one can forgive sins but God alone. No man can forgive sins. No religious leader can forgive sins. No priest, no cleric in a confessional, no church system. Only God, let me say it again, only God can forgive sins. But the Pharisees didn't get it. They didn't understand that this was the one who alone had the authority on the earth to forgive sins. Because Jesus is the living God. Jesus was the one at the beginning who said, let there be light. Jesus was the one in the burning bush who said, I am the great I am. Jesus was the one who made that covenant with Abraham, the one who wrestled with Jacob, the one who commanded the armies of the Lord for Joshua. Jesus was the one who gave Israel the law and Moses the Ten Commandments. Jesus was the one, the only one who could forgive sins because man had broken the laws that he had given to man. And only Jesus was the one who could go to the cross and bear the sins of humanity upon himself. But the Pharisees couldn't get that. They were so caught up in their religious traditions that they could not recognize the one standing before them was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, isn't that cool? Jesus knows what you're thinking. That's not good news for some of us, right? He, <laughs> thank God for his grace. <laughs> Amen. What do I always say? God is good, even when I'm not, right? He answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know, hallelujah, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So Jesus was simply saying to prove, to prove the power and the authority of my words to forgive sins, I'm going to use my words to declare healing. And when you see that my words have the power to heal this man's body, you can also know that my words have the authority to forgive this man's sins. Hallelujah. Not only did this prove his power on earth and authority to forgive sins, it proved that he was and is the Son of Man, the Messiah, God in the flesh. Look at verse 24. He says that you may know that the, what does he call himself? The Son of Man. This was a term that the Pharisees would have been familiar with. It came from the prophet Daniel in Daniel 7.13 who described 
This Daniel described prophetically, he saw, and he described the Son of Man as one who would come in the clouds and would be given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him and that he, the Son of Man, would have an everlasting dominion that would never pass away. Hallelujah. Make no mistake. Jesus was being very clear about who he claimed to be. He was saying that he was the long-awaited Messiah, the great I Am, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the eternal, omnipotent, almighty God. Hallelujah. And then... That paralyzed man, in verse 25, says, Immediately he arose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. I bet he was glorifying God. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. In fact, I think he probably was running, skipping, dancing, and jumping the whole... I know it doesn't say that there. Pastor Dylan, some more Jesus. Okay, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what you might be paralyzed by today. Maybe your body is racked with pain, ravaged by disease, and you need healing. Jesus is a healer. Maybe you're stuck in shame and guilt and these agonizing feelings about yourself. But I want to challenge you. I want to invite you. It's time to pull the tiles off the roof and to push past all of the religious people and the religious systems and all those external requirements and come to Jesus just as you are. Bring your bed right in to the presence of the king. I know that bed that has held you bound, that bed that you have lied in for years, that bed of misery and agony and pain and suffering, bring it all, bring it all right to the feet of Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You don't need to clean yourself up first. You don't need to get your act together first. You just come to Jesus just as you are. Hallelujah. He's not ashamed by you. He's not disappointed by you. He's not angry at you. He is not judging you. He is not condemning you. He knows why you're in that bed. He knows how you got there. He knows what happened to you, what you have been through. You don't need to feel embarrassed, ashamed, condemned, unworthy, or guilty in the presence of our King. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so in verse 25, he left glorifying God. And let me say this, Jesus was the God that he was glorifying. Amen? That's important. It doesn't say that he left glorifying the healer or the forgiver or the savior or the provider. It says he left glorifying God. Let's be clear. When we come to Jesus and he accepts us as we are, we don't just come for healing and forgiveness. We we come to make him Lord of our lives because Jesus is Lord And that's the only way he comes in. And this is where many people get stuck, right? People say, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I've 
accepted Jesus. I prayed that prayer. But they only know him as the forgiver. They only know him as the healer and the provider and the prayer answerer. And they don't truly know him as Lord. Where they have laid down their lives before him. They have placed their will, their plans, their ideas about life. They have put it all before Jesus and said, Jesus, I submit everything that I think, believe, want, and am. I give it all to you. Have your way. Be my Lord. This was the problem the Pharisees had with Jesus. Let me invite the worship team up here. They were all amazed, verse 26 says, and they glorified, look at it, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen some strange things today. <laughs> they glorified God, it says. They knew that God had done something miraculous, but they were unwilling to confess that Jesus was the God who did it. And it says they were filled with fear and said, we've seen some strange things today. Let me just say, there's nothing strange about what happened that day. Jesus, God the Son, worked a miracle because he is God. Nothing strange about that. Amen? When you know and understand who Jesus is, it's not a strange thing when somebody gets healed. We rejoice, right? We're glad to see it, but we're not surprised. Why? Because we know Jesus is God. He's the healer. It's only strange if you refuse to acknowledge that God is the one who is working, which they were unwilling to do, and which is why it says they were filled with fear. They were afraid, not in the sense of reverence or awe or wonder over who Jesus was. They were afraid as in they were threatened that Jesus now was going to upset their religious order and steal their popularity and ruin their reputations. They were more concerned about their status, their popularity, and their, their success than they were about being in right standing with God. And this is where I close. I know we love to talk about Jesus the healer, Jesus the forgiver, but many people will not follow Jesus because they perceive him, just like the Pharisees, as a threat. They don't want God to be that authority in their lives before whom they must submit their will and their plans and their ideologies and their beliefs and to say, Lord, I am conforming myself to you. I am aligning my beliefs with the word of God. Jesus does not just want to forgive and heal. He wants to be God over your life. He wants to be Lord over your life. Amen? So we want to pray for you. We want to pray for those who need healing. We're going to do that in just a moment here. But we want you to know that Jesus is more than a healer. Everybody say, more than a healer. He's more than a healer. Hallelujah. He is the living God, Lord of all creation, who wants to be Lord of your life. Let's stand together. So, Father, we're thankful, Lord, for your word today. That shows us, Lord God how you truly are the Prince of Peace in our lives. That when we submit our lives to you, God, you bring the peace that we need. Father, I want to pray, God, if there be anyone here that has never received Christ into their lives, that now would be that moment where they say yes to Jesus. 
If you're here today, my friend, you've never heard the gospel before, how Jesus died on the cross for your sin and how you need to accept that gift of forgiveness. And today, you want to receive that forgiveness and receive Jesus as Lord of your life. Then I'm going to ask you right where you're standing to repeat this prayer, to repeat this prayer with me. Amen? Come on, let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and offers me eternal life. I receive that gift of forgiveness. I receive that healing of my soul. I receive Jesus to be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah.